What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I am Ben Bolin. Hey, Ben. Today we're going to talk about induction systems. And we're going to talk about two different types in particular, the carburetor and fuel injection. Ah, yes, the carburetor and fuel injector. This is interesting because for uh, most people, I think it's safe to say, even if you don't know too much about cars, you're aware of how these technologies have cycled through each other. So it's almost as if we are talking about VHS versus DVD systems. Uh, but very, very quickly, just before we get into this, Scott, uh, what what do you mean when you say induction system? Induction system, I'm talking about the way that air and fuel is brought into the engine. Now, uh, a couple of different ways of metering both of these, and carburetors do it one way, fuel injection systems do it another way, mm-hmm. and uh, they're similar in ways, they're they're dissimilar in other ways. I mean, not all, again, not, not all carbs are the same, but they're all similar, and not all fuel injection systems are the same, but they're all similar. And we'll talk about that, and we'll talk about some pros and cons of each type mm-hmm. as we go through this. So... You know, this isn't one of the uh, the podcasts where we're going to say, um, you know, this this system is far better than the other system or anything like that. But we are going to give you the pros and cons of each, the description of each kind, and maybe not, you know, a full description of how everything operates because that's uh, that's another podcast in itself, really. Sure. Yeah. That's, uh, what, it's difficult. I mean, when yeah. you look at a carburetor, they can they can be difficult when they when you first look at them. <laughs> they're they're pretty. I don't know. I want to say self-explanatory as you, as you start to really watch them, but I think mm-hmm. you have to have kind of a, a mechanical mindset in order to figure it out. You know, the, right. once you look at them, you understand what's going on. Yeah, and one thing that we can say about the carburetor, it came along first, of course, and for most of the history of internal combustion engines, the carburetor has been key. It's been the main source supplying fuel to the engine, performing those induction duties. And the carburetor itself is a pretty old idea, um, at least in, in the grand scheme of things car-wise. Uh, it was invented by an Italian man whose name I will proceed to mispronounce. I apologize to Italian speakers. Are you ready, Scott? Ready. Okay, great. <laughs> that guy's name is Luigi de Cristoforis. Better you than me. I don't know. Better you than me, Ben. Uh, he invented it in 1876. 1876. Okay, mm-hmm. that goes uh, beyond where I thought it would. I thought it would be right around the 1890s, somewhere around there. Right. Well, the the carburetor itself, as we know, whenever we talk about inventors, one person rarely makes an invention out of whole cloth by his or herself. So we know that... The um, another kind of carburetor was developed by a guy at the University of Padua in 1882, uh, and this the the carburetor is also one of the earlier patents that Carl Benz, a name who might be familiar to some people or car fans, uh, a carburetor is one of the earlier patents that he made himself. So when we're talking, you said the 1890s, right? Yeah. Okay, so that means. I think you're talking about the first carburetor for uh, stationary engines, right? Uh, and that's 1893, two Hungarian engineers whose names I will proceed to mispronounce, uh, Janos Sonka and Donat Banki. Hmm. 
very good. Really? I don't uh, know. Yeah, I think it probably is. But, you know, I, I guess where my confusion comes in is that I always associate carburetors with automobiles, of course. Uh-huh, right. But really, it's it's with internal combustion engines. And those have been around prior to automobiles, obviously. It's just no one sure. really put them, the two together and made a car until the late 1890s. And that's why I assume that, you know, I, I wasn't going to hear about carburetors until 1896. Ah, uh, yeah, when Frederick William Lancaster, 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 uh, started putting those in a gasoline-driven car, right? And it was a, a pretty, well, I don't want to throw dirt on his invention, uh, but it wasn't exactly a monster on the road. It was a single cylinder, right, Scott? Mm-hmm, exactly. Five, and yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. Five horsepower. Five, well, five with. Well, very strong. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess there wasn't much to really power around in those days. It was more like a wagon, really. Right, and what he developed was called a wick carburetor. Right? Okay, so there's a lot of different types of carburetors, right? Yep, and and the thing, you know, with carbs is they're they're relatively simple. They're they're pretty easy to rebuild. I mean, we're talking about modern carbs now, because along the way, if you want to you want to take this to the extreme, I guess you could go through every generation of carburetors and say that you know there have been updates and modifications to the patents, to the sure, uh, tweaks, to the way these things are really operating or the way they're built, and. um all the way through, well, not not through present day, really. I guess if you want to talk about, um, you know, lawnmowers and lawn equipment and things yeah. like that, they're still using carburetors. But right. uh, for automobiles, we're not using them anymore. It's we've switched over completely to fuel injected systems, mm-hmm. and that's why we're going to include both of those induction systems in today's podcast. Yeah, a uh, little piece of trivia. I th- I think this is correct here, Scott. The last car sold in the United States that had a, a carburetor was the 1990 Subaru Justy. Very good, Ben. I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned that because I didn't have that anywhere in my notes. So uh that makes things easy on me today because I won't have to uh, come up with any kind of fact like that in the future when someone writes in and says, "Hey, by the way, what was the last carbureted <laughs> vehicle?" But um I'm I'm glad you said it and you know, I w- I went to uh a lot of different places to get information for today's podcast. So let's let's kind of jump in with um with some of the carbureted stuff if you want to. And one of the places I went to was uh was Summit Racing. And Summit Racing has a, a series of videos called, uh, you know, like Summit Racing 101, I think is what they call it. Mm-hmm. And they outline a lot of different things, a lot of different, um, you know, troubleshooting items that you may have with carburetors, carburetor systems, fuel injected systems, engine operating systems, all kinds of racing applications. Okay. And carburetors is a, is a big chunk of this. And they just kind of, kind of give you the basics in, uh, in one of their videos. Um, I think it, I want to say it's like carburetors 101, but it may just be, Summit Racing 101, something like that. Mm-hmm. Easy to find online. And uh, just following through that, I mean, they had a lot of good information that I think I can share with you. And if we kind of step through this, it'll paint a real clear picture of the types of carbs available, mm-hmm. the types of fuel injection systems available, and maybe the pros and cons of each. That sounds great. One chapter I want to add to the beginning of that mm-hmm. is the basic component of a carburetor. Just any kind of carburetor, what do they all have in common? What do they do? Sure. Oh, okay. All right, I'll do it. Oh, no, that's all right. Go ahead. Do you want me to, uh, uh, me to no, start? No, no, I'll do it. Uh, help, me, uh, help me out here. I think I've got it. Uh, the carburetor at the basis is deceptively simple, isn't it? It really is. It's, uh, oh, yeah, I did take the easy job on this one. <laughs> I remember this because a carburetor is just an open pipe through which air passes yeah. into the inlet manifold of the engine. Uh, the pipe is in the form of something called a venturi. Yeah, yeah. And venturi, I guess, is something that's wider at the top, narrower in the middle, and then uh, widens out again at the bottom, right? So yeah, so it's a, got like a bottleneck. Yeah, there's a point where the air speeds up as it goes through this, and the pressure increases. Is that right? The pressure increases. Yeah. Uh, so you have low pressure, um, you know, above and below this thing as well, and that's what helps drive or helps pull the mm-hmm. fuel into the uh, the combustion chambers. Yeah, and it's that, an, that helps along the way. I mean, it's an ingenious, simplistic design. It, it really is. And in, in addition to, you know, just the simplicity of, of being able to get air and fuel into the engine, mm-hmm. you know, relatively quick, uh, they've got a lot of really simple, simple adjustments you can make on these things that, that help refine that mixture. So you're able to adjust as you go along. And, and there are mixture adjustment screws that are usually in the front of the carb. There's also idle adjustment screws, sure. um, you know, fast and slow idle adjustments. There's also vacuum ports. Like there's maybe two different ports. You know, there's, um, like a vacuum to distributor port that you can, you can hook up to. There's a passenger side and a driver side hookup for this. Uh, Ooh. the driver side is usually vacuum all the time and the passenger side is, uh, more for emissions controlled engines typically. Right. So modern engines would, would typically have something like that. The older, um, I guess you call it muscle car engines really. They'd have the hookup port usually on the driver's side. 
um, you know, where the, where this vacuum all the time. So you don't, you're not worried about vacuum, um, part of the time, like I guess you'd find on the passenger side, um, hookup. And I know that's all confusing. This doesn't make a lot, a whole lot of sense unless you're looking at a diagram <laughs> of a, of a carburetor, really. But, well, there's... we, I, I think I can help pick up with this. All right. Uh, because we know, what we know is that this is, as we said, a relatively simple mechanical device whose entire job in your car is simply to, or in your lawnmower, right, is simply to regulate as precisely as possible the mixture of fuel to air, the ratio of fuel to air, so that you are able to achieve uh, certain levels of power. Right? You know what I like about this, Ben? You're keeping this so simple, and I'm trying to go in a little bit deeper with uh, with all these adjustments and linkages and all that, and it's just causing me to stumble myself all over the place. So, oh, hey, don't uh, beat yourself up, man. We're going to get to those because we're going to talk about all the various types of carbon. We probably need to have a full carb episode where yeah. it's just about carbs and carb uh, adjustment and maybe even a follow along diagram or something like that. That would be great. But yeah, and we should just put we should we should put out a blog on the same day with the diagram and then we in the title though, we should just say carbs so that people who uh are concerned with diets or something we'll <laughs> check it out. Mistakenly tune in. <laughs> yeah. Well you know what let's uh let's move on here. So how about we just do uh let's do the pros of carburetors. How about that? Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So let's just jump in with the pros of carburetors. Now it's the oldest method of uh of air and fuel injection mm-hmm. or induction rather for mm-hmm. for any kind of engine. And I guess the biggest advantage that a carb has is uh, over a fuel injection system is cost. Now I mean the difference is is starting to shrink because um you know some of the the fuel injection systems that you think would be very expensive are coming down in cost it's mm-hmm. becoming a more affordable option i guess so you can swap out one for the other as we'll find out later yeah and, and it's not as tough as you might think yeah and and another pro in another in the pro column i guess would be that for collectors or for hot riders um it gives a uh, a correct look to the vehicle so when you open the hood you don't have a fuel injection system that wasn't on there originally. You know, right, it's, it's authentic. It looks like it came from the factory that way. I mean, whether you're putting a new carburetor on there mm-hmm. or, you know, something that's, you know, an authentic carburetor from that era, mm-hmm. it's going to look correct in that way. Um, easy setup, as we already mentioned. There's no return lines to worry about. There's really no electronics to worry about. Right, you all may, mechanical, pretty much. Yeah, you may have an electric uh, electric choke, you yeah. know, something like that, yeah. but uh, very, very simple hookup, uh, very, very simple. So... Um, that's the pros of carburetors. Now, the pros of fuel injection systems, and we'll kind of go back and forth here a little bit because I'm going to get to the types of carbs in just a minute. But Oh, I do have a – before we go on, I do have another pro for a carburetor. Sure. What's that? Uh, because it is such an older technology, it is arguably a little more reliable. Yeah, yeah, arguably. Yeah, and you're able to make those adjustments yourself. So you know, if something is going wrong – you're probably able to adjust that out or figure out what's wrong with it. Just, you know, mechanically taking a look at this thing and saying, mm-hmm. I can, I can see what's wrong there. This linkage isn't operating correctly, or I can make this adjustment to, to compensate for that. Now, some people will say that that's entirely opinion, right? Mm-hmm. They might say it's absolute bunk, but mm-hmm. other people will swear by stuff like that. Yeah. They're going to be people in both corners on this argument. Mm-hmm. So you got to remember that, you know, whichever side <laughs> you're on, there's always somebody on the other side too. So, um, I'll give you a few. Pros of the fuel and just the pros, I guess, on this, okay. on this. But, um, there's a reason that cars are built with fuel injection systems these days and, and, and you know, over the carbureted systems, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can't get a new vehicle with a carburetor now, as you mentioned, not in the U.S. anyways. Um, because they provide, they do provide lower emissions, better fuel economy. And, uh, also there's a debatable power level in these things. So, you know, there's a, um, some people say that there's more peak power that you can get out of a fuel injection system. Right, because they deliver the fuel directly to each cylinder. Yeah, there's a broader power curve with a fuel injection system typically, um, especially with, as you mentioned, the multi-port injection systems, which we'll talk, we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. But uh, the multi-port systems are where fuel is added to each cylinder individually. So obviously there's much better control in that situation. Another, another pro for a fuel injector is... Uh, <laughs> This is something that you may have wondered about when you when you've watched films from maybe the 70s or the 60s or even the early 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, you're let's imagine you're watching a film where someone's trying to start a car in cold weather and it's kind of ch- 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 chugging sure. along, yep. but it's not starting. Uh, that is something that can happen in cold weather with carburetors and fuel injection systems. 
uh, don't have that problem, right? That's true. Yeah, they don't have that situation where you have to uh, prime the carburetor with you know a couple of pumps of gas before you, mm-hmm. you start up. If you do that with a fuel injector system, really nothing's going to happen at that point. It doesn't happen until you turn the key. So right. um, you're kind of you're wasting your effort, I guess, on that. There's really just nothing that's going on there. Yeah, one of the and the reason for that is that the cold air will condense the fuel. And that just means that the car, the carburetor will still work, but it just needs more fuel in order to get everything moving. But uh, most modern fuel injectors, of course, run off software, so they don't have the same need. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, with the carburetor, there's also the choke adjustment that you can make, you know, either that's manual or whether it's electric. Right. Um, my car has an electric choke on it. I used to have a car that had a uh, manual choke on it, which was that was kind of a cool thing to have. I, yeah, I, what, which car was that? Uh, I was in a 1981 Toyota Celica GT uh, yeah. and had a, a choke adjustment. I also had an MG that had a, a manual choke adjustment. And uh, maybe that was it. I think that mm-hmm. might have been the only one. But, um, you know, the other ones have all had, you know, other carbureted cars that have had have had um, electric choke. And mm-hmm. that works, you know, every time seems to work fine unless there's a, you know, a break in the wire or something. You know, you're not going to have a problem with that. Um, now, let's talk about some different styles of carburetors that you can choose from. Okay. And then we'll talk about, um, you know, different styles of injector systems that you can get. But um, basically what you're doing here is you're weighing uh, performance versus fuel economy. Which do you prefer? Because, you know, there, there are carbs for performance. There's carbs for fuel economy. There's a couple that kind of um, kind of walk the line, but we'll, we'll get to that in just a minute. It's a, uh, I don't know, it's a preference thing, really, at that, <laughs> okay. at that point. So a right. um, lot, lot of different decisions here. There's a two-barrel carb that you can get, and that's probably the best street carburetor. Um, and when I say best street, I mean as far as drivability. You know, the, the, and even the, some of the old muscle cars, the old street rods, originally came equipped with a two-barrel carburetor, and that was for fuel economy. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about the time when they were built, if it was in the early 70s, it was, you know, during the fuel embargo time, you know, there's a fuel crisis going on, um, or had just ended, rather. And so a lot of them came with, even even though you wouldn't think about it, it's, it's counterintuitive a little bit, you know, when you think about how strong and powerful these things were back then. Right. Yeah. Or they are now, really. Maybe looking back with rose-colored glasses or rose-tinted glasses that, you know, that you're thinking that they were really, really performers. But maybe they came originally equipped with a two-barrel carb, which was, again, you know, intended for fuel economy. Um, the opposite side of that would be like a full race carburetor. And just as an example, and I think the Summit Racing guys use this one, uh, the Holly Dominator carb, which is like a 4,500 carb, huge carburetor. Um, has this giant, giant intake manifold that, that's required for this thing. So it has its own ma- mounting pattern, uh, requires a custom mounting plate, but it gets the absolute most air and fuel into the engine and fast, you know, like as, as quickly as possible. Right. That's the sole intent of this thing. There's no, I believe on this one, there's no choke even. So you, you don't even have that option because, you know, it's, it's pretty much set up for the track. I don't think it's even really intended for street use. Probably not. I, I'm not sure if it is or not, but I know that it, this is one of those, like full-on race carburetors, you're probably better off leaving this one on the track versus trying to drive a streetcar with this thing. Yeah, it's a totally different driving style. Completely different. And then probably the most popular type of carburetor for, you know, someone who is uh, like me who's working on a project car, who's got something, you know, in the garage that they're just messing around with. Uh-huh. Um, I don't want to go with a two-barrel carb, you know, for for um, for pure fuel economy because I'm not really interested in fuel economy. You go with like a four-barrel carburetor, which mm-hmm. is kind of the best of both worlds, really. I mean... Yeah. Well, there's well, you know what? There's one more option that I'll tell you. It's maybe even better, but uh, the four barrel carb is the most popular for the street use, I guess, for the uh, the uh, the hot rodder, I guess, the the mm-hmm. weekend weekend warrior type guys, you know, that uh, that take the car out for fun. Uh, very tunable, of course. Um, typical square bore underneath, and it has you know the same size inlets on uh, both sets, both on the primaries and on the secondaries underneath. So you'll be able to find that um, you know this will mount up. Pretty easily with just about any setup you have, um, with that, I'm sorry, without with just about any intake manifold that you have, the I setup see. for a four barrel carb, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty standard setup. Uh, then there's another one that is a a spread bore carb. Now this is a little different. This one has smaller primaries and larger secondaries. Now it's I guess this is a very drivable option for the street. It provides better fuel economy because I said it has those smaller primaries mm-hmm. and the secondaries are are larger like you'd find in a typical four barrel carb. But the the um because of the smaller primaries, it's a much more fuel efficient choice for the streets because that's typically what you're operating with. You're operating with these these primaries. Unless you're at wide open throttle and you're going to have, you know, the the, the bigger secondaries open up. Right. And that's when it really starts to draw in a lot more fuel and air. 
And um, it just seems like this breadboard carb is maybe the best, I guess, the best streetable option for a lot of people. Like the Goldilocks zone, the sweet spot? It, it might be, yeah. I've I've um, I've never seen anybody using one of these. I've never seen anybody with a spreadboard carb that I've known of. I mean, mm-hmm. that, at least that, you know, I've been under the hood examining the, the engine or anything like that. Uh, a friend or, you know, someone at a car show or whatever. I've just never seen one. I've only seen the four-barrel option or the two-barrel option or, of course, you know, the full street. I'm sorry, the full race. Yeah. You know you know what's interesting? This is just a little sidebar. Uh, this might be a way to help people think of the operation, how the, car, how the carburetor is involved mm-hmm. with you as the driver. So, you know, the gas pedal on your car, no matter what kind of car you have, mm-hmm. you probably have, I'm going to go out on a limb and say something like a gas pedal. Fair assumption? Probably a fair assumption. Okay. Uh, we're playing it safe, right? And um, so this pedal is connected to the throttle valve. What kind of car, right? Yeah. In sure. some way. And so really all this valve does is it goes from your foot uh, to the carburetor itself, to the engine, and it regulates how much air enters. So if you think about it. It regulates how much air enters based on how much fuel is entering. Right, exactly. And how you have it adjusted. Important distinction. Yes. And so if you think about it, when you're pushing down on that pedal, it's almost as fair or it's equally inaccurate to call it the air pedal as it is to call it the gas <laughs> pedal, isn't it? I guess so. Yeah, sure. Cause you're, uh, you're, int- uh, you are introducing more air to the engine mm-hmm. as you press, as you press that pedal down farther. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I guess so you're right. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. I just think it's helpful because if people who people who are not too familiar with uh, working on the components of an induction system or something might be thinking, well, what is this is just another thing under the hood. You know, how does this actually what does this actually do for my car? It looks complex. And I tried to kind of get this out in a uh, in a crude manner at the head of this podcast. Yeah. But but I know a carburetor can look complex when you first take a look at it. And I've got a diagram here that I'm going to show you, Ben. It looks mm-hmm. looks like there's a uh, there's a, just a ton of linkages and there's just all kinds of stuff going on with this thing. But if you really look at the operation of it, when when yeah. it's when it's working, when the car's idling, and you can kind of get under there and you can you know hand adjust, you can use your your fingers to adjust the accelerator, mm-hmm. uh, the throttle rather, and um, you start making some adjustments, even just fingertip adjustments or with the screwdriver, and kind of playing around with some of the adjustments and seeing what they do and how it makes the vehicle run and how it uh, you know you can make the mixture leaner or or richer and 
um, fast adjustment screws and slow adjustment screws mm-hmm. and, you know, just all the, everything that's going on with this thing. And you can watch the air and fuel. You can see the, the fuel being jetted into the engine, really. Yeah, which from is pretty above. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. So, you know, that's something you can't do with a fuel injection system. Right. <laughs> um, but with a carburetor, you can. It's, it's really, it becomes, much more clear to you when you when you see it operating and you can you can really piece this all together and just looking at a diagram you know on a piece of printed paper like we're looking at right now yeah it's deceptively complex it, the it, principle is simple that's exactly right yeah a lot of the stuff is just you, you take a look at it and you can figure it out just uh i don't know just by hands-on experience really uh so i think we should also note that the carburetor you're looking at if you're looking at a car is also uh much more complex than the carburetors in older engines or applications because carburetors evolved to become increasingly sophisticated all the way up to, well, you know, in, in some cases, people are still uh, tinkering with carburetors today. That's true, yeah, and, and they were much more simple devices a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they looked a lot different. They had a different appearance completely. No kidding. However, um, you know, the the, uh, the theory behind them is all the same. Okay, and what, wait, I want, before we go on, I wanted to ask, do we have more stuff with carburetors? You know, Ben, I think I don't have a whole lot more to say about carbs. I'm sure that somewhere along the way I've got a, a term or two confused, and I hope they'll forgive me, you know, for that. But um, maybe we can straighten that out, you know, in, in listener mail or something like that when people write in and say, hey, you said this instead of that. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully that didn't happen too often as I, as I discuss carbs, and I'll try to get through our next section, which will be fuel-injected systems. But before we go on, Scott, I have a question for you Uh are you still giving out free advice regarding Netflix movies? Always. Oh, good. Okay. Well, I'm in the market. What should I be watching this weekend? Well, I have a good one for us this week. I've got uh, the movie called Death Race 2000, and it's from 1975. Oh, I'm acquainted. So this is uh, not the remakes that started right around, I think it was 2008 and, uh-huh. and on. There have been, you know, like, Death, there's Death Race 2, 3, 4. I think it's mm-hmm. gone up through maybe even 5 at this point. But this is the original Death Race 2000 from 1975. And you've already seen this? Yeah, I had no idea it was on Netflix. No kidding. Well, it's uh, it's definitely there because I checked it out uh, today. The title is there. Mm-hmm. But uh, I want to tell you that this is a um, not for everybody, a movie that's not for everyone. It's rated R. It's pretty violent. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, and I'll tell you the description here in just a minute, but uh, you'll understand quickly why it's not for everybody. Uh, the cast is pretty impressive, really. It's got David Carradine. Um, let's see. I'll just mention a couple. Sylvester Stallone was in this one, mm-hmm. a young Sylvester Stallone. And you know who else makes an appearance in this? Hey, is that, that that Don Steele guy who was a disc jockey from Los Angeles in the 1960s and 70s? Oh. He was in those Ron Howard movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Eat My Dust, I think, yeah. was one. And the last one was... Um, Grand Theft Auto, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, he's back in this one again. He must have played a lot of uh, movie characters in the in the mid seventies. Wow, that's a cool. Popular guy back yeah. then. Um, what this movie is about? Now, it's the guy that directed Cannonball. This guy's name is Paul Bartel, and he directs what they call a science fiction cult classic about a deadly and brutal transcontinental road race, mm-hmm. which is set in a dystopian future. Uh, in which rivaling teams travel across America scoring points, points by running down innocent pedestrians. Mm-hmm. Points are tallied based on the brutality of each kill. Now, this is where, you know, when you're a kid, I mean, when you're just learning, learning to drive and, and some, but some joker in the car will say, oh, look, there's uh, somebody walk across yeah, the street. 500 points. 10 points, you know, whatever it is. Oh, yeah, okay. 500 points. Well, you guys scored differently. A bigger scoring system, I guess, but it's a, it's about a lethal road race. And this is where all this comes from. This is like mm-hmm. the, the point system thing mm-hmm. that you're kind of joking about early on. Now, it's set in the year 2000, which at the time was way, way in the future, you know, yeah. 20, 25 years in the future. And I got to warn you, the acting is really, really bad in this. It's a, it's poorly acted film. I can I can just tell you that right up front. But why would you want to watch it, you may ask? Uh, okay, uh, why would we want to watch this poorly acted film? <laughs> because it has some amazing cars in it, Ben. As we always uh, as we always talk about, you know, they've got um, not just background cars in this one. This one is all about the racing cars because it's set in this future uh, future scape, I guess. And the cars are so wild. There's a a Corvette that looks like an alligator. There is a uh, car that has a giant knife and machine guns mounted on the front of it. Mm-hmm. There's another one that looks like a lion, which is, they call it a feline-shaped Fiat 850 Spider. Mm-hmm. There's also a, uh, a car called the Buzz Bomb, which is a Volkswagen Carmen Ghia that looks like a V1 flying bomb. And there's also a car that looks like a bull that's driven by another character that's called Cowgirl Calamity Jane. So yeah. the characters are in this little, little wild. The vehicles are even crazier. 
and it is really brutal. I mean, it's uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of um, simulated accidents with with humans, and Not if you're for kids. no, and if you're sensitive to that kind of thing, I wouldn't watch it. But um, it's it's really it's it's again poorly acted, but it's kind of funny to take a look back at this thing from oh. 1975 and see the way that you know they thought the year 2000 would be. Right, yeah, they had no idea about fuel injection systems yeah. either and, because those cars used carburetors. And I, yeah, exactly. And I knew that they were just kind of, you know, making fun of almost like, uh, you know, like Jetsons type future, you know, like where right. we're going beyond what we know is going to happen really. But looking back and you see this, it, it had a completely different point to make. I mean, I think there was a lot more to it than this. Um, it was supposed to be some type of elaborate fantasy type movie that, that mm-hmm. tells, about like our our particular popular entertainment of the time, you know, as one cautionary tale. Yeah, cautionary tale. That's right. It was supposed to glorify the car as like this instrument of violence, as one reviewer mm-hmm. said. And uh, and I think they did that, but um, they lacked in other ra- other places, and it ended up just being kind of a hokey movie. Well, tell us what you think. Do you think that Death Race Two Thousand has uh, poor acting, or do you think? It's amazing, and they were uh, snubbed at the Oscars. Uh, you can watch this yourself. Now, this might be the point where you say, hey, Scott, Ben, quit bugging me. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian, someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so we are back, and now it's time to talk about the new kid on the engine block. Huh? I worked on that one. Uh, you know, that's not bad. And it's all right. Uh, about the new kid on the engine block, fuel injection systems. That's right. And there are three basic types of fuel injection systems that we're going to talk about. We'll talk about... Throttle body injector systems, or TBI, multi-port fuel injection systems, or MPFI, and then sequential port fuel injection systems, which are, oddly enough, abbreviated SFI, which is uh, a little strange to me. But um, as we go through these, you'll find that, you know, starting at the beginning, this is kind of a, another evolutionary tale, I guess, in the way that these things develop, because the initial systems now... 
the, the initial systems, of course, they can be added to any carbureted vehicle, really. Mm-hmm. You can change over a carbureted vehicle into a fuel injection system if you just buy a conversion kit. Now, these conversion kits are available at, you know, from a lot of different aftermarket companies. Sure. You can probably even get them, you know, at some of the, uh, the local auto shops now. Yeah. You don't have to order these things special from some warehouse out west or somewhere. Um, you know, they're readily available. They're not too difficult to add to any vehicle, really. Um, just follow the instructions and it should be fine. But companies like Edelbrock do something like this. Now, they have one that uh, is called the, um, well, I guess the throttle body injection system, which is the, the most basic of this, really. And that's just a, a generic term, I guess, for this type of system. And that's where you just simply bolt what looks like a carburetor on top of uh, your your intake manifold. And it it replicates the operation of the carburetor, really, but it's a it's a an electronic version Right. Of your carburetor acting as a fuel injection system. And there's a single nozzle that sprays fuel in, um, sprays fuel in it as air is drawn in. So it acts a lot like a carburetor in that way. But again, it's, it's pretty, um, I want to say it's crude, but it's not really crude because it's a step up from the carburetor system, sure, carburetor yeah. system really. But it's a, it's a simple, simple system, Ben. It doesn't get any easier than this as far as fuel injected systems go. Right. And again, the huge advantage for this is that it made for more of a gradual adaptation of the system. So from an engineering perspective, you you don't have to make all these crazy changes to your vehicle, to the setup, to the blueprint, to the specs. You can just put it in there. Exactly. I mean, you look at at just a a simple throttle body injector system, and you're going to see that, you know, it looks very familiar. It looks just like a carburetor, only a lot simpler because of all those – all those linkages and all those adjustment screws mm-hmm. and everything that we talked about before, those those are gone. There's none of that. There's really just, you know, an electronic hookup. There's a, a fuel nozzle, and it does look like a carburetor that you're bolting to your engine again. Mm-hmm. But, again, it's it's electronically controlled, so it's a little bit uh, a little bit better on the fuel economy, and people seem to like it better It's uh, as far as um, – I, I shouldn't say they like it better – they, a lot of people do, though. Well, that's why they're switching it over, I guess. Maybe. Right. But, but anyways, let's let's move on to the next type. How about that? Ah, yes, the next type. The replacement for the throttle body fuel injection system was something that we had mentioned much earlier in this podcast, mm-hmm. right? The multi-port fuel injection. Exactly. And this type has injectors in each cylinder, and each cylinder gets a, a spray of fuel um, you know, determ- based on readings from the electronics systems that, that are the feeding you. Yeah, stuff. exactly. They're feeding information to the whole system and they're, they're, they're analyzing what's going on, like, you know, along with the fuel system, the air intake, you know, mm-hmm. the, the O2 sensors. They're gathering information from a lot of different places and determining how much fuel needs to go to each cylinder at what time exactly. Right. Yeah. So with this, uh, with this ability to track and in some cases, as we're learning, uh, predict fuel demands, uh, these sorts of fuel injection systems, I'm, I'm going to say that they objectively provide a, a much more sophisticated ride. It's a, it's a self-adjusting system, Ben. It, yeah, it's it, bases, great. it bases, you know, the way it operates on a monitoring of air temperature, mm-hmm. uh, the amount of air that's getting in and other conditions around, you know, like the humidity and all that stuff comes yeah. into play. Whereas with a carburetor, you know, you set it up in your garage, and you head out and that's the way it's going to run, you know, the entire time you have it out for that day or that, that, you know, period of time between when you adjust it and when you come back and readjust it. Well, let me, hey, hey, oh, I'm sorry. That's all right. But I was just going to say a multi-port injection system is continually adjusting itself. So you get a better all around performance, I guess, from something like that. I'm so glad you said that. And I wanted to point this out. Yes. The multi-port does all of these things and it does them well as long as it's working. Because the multi-port, uh, as it, as it depends upon information from several different sensors, can become pretty expensive pretty quickly if one of those sensors fails. Yeah, that's true. So, um, you know, an oxygen you, sensor. You become dependent on other things to, to right. make this run correctly. Mm-hmm. And with a carburetor, you know, the carburetor is the carburetor and you've got, you know, your adjustments and your, and your, um, your equipment, I guess, to monitor and maintain there. Mm-hmm. But as far as this goes, you know, you've got to, you've got to worry about what's happening at different sensors in different places around the vehicle, uh, the electronics that go along with it, which you don't have to worry about with the carburetor. I'm not trying to sell you one over the other by any means, but, um, you know, this is why fuel injection systems, especially these multi-port systems, are able to offer better fuel economy, you know, lower emissions output, things like that, you know, at, at higher speeds. But 
the thing is, you know, they, they may be a little bit more complex to, uh, to own and operate. It's a little easier, I would say, for some things to go wrong. Yeah, it so, is. But it's also, you know, you can just put it in and just let it go, too. I mean, that's if it's running right, it's running right. That's true. And clearly, the, at least car makers in the United States made that decision to keep everything fuel injection. Uh, just, a, just a short list of some sensors that could go wrong in your fuel injection system or, you know, mess up the way it works. There's the airflow sensor. Uh, there's the oxygen sensor, which I mentioned earlier, throttle position, coolant temperature, voltage sensor, manifold, absolute pressure sensor, engine speed. Uh, these are not the entire list by any means. <laughs> these are just a few of the things that could make your car's fuel efficiency and performance just plummet. But those are also the things that make your car's fuel efficiency go up. You know, that's, that's true. You know, I'm, see, I'm it's, doing kind of a glass half empty thing. That's okay. It's, I mean, they're either working or they're not working or some, you know, sometimes some are working and some aren't working. And, you know, it's just this, uh, it's a give and take, Ben. It's always a give and take with this. So, you know, yeah, which are you yeah, more comfortable true. with, really? That's true. And, uh. Well, this, this is the exact dilemma that a lot of, uh, a lot of hot riders have to go through. They, they think like, well, I've, I've got all these different things to weigh on this hand and all these different mm-hmm. things to weigh on that hand. What's the, what's the, uh, the best for me? What's my, what's my application require? And, uh, you know, a lot of times it just comes down to wanting it to look right. And that's when they go back with the carburetor. Um, other times they want it, you know, for fuel economy and they want, you know, something that's a little more high tech, a little more modern. Under the hood, they're going to go with the fuel injected system. And, and, you know, maybe that is a multi-port fuel injection system or maybe it's, you know, the, the simple throttle body injector system. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one other type that we can talk about right. that, um, is even a step up from the, uh, the multi-port injection systems. If you want to talk about it, it's the sequential fuel injection systems. Mm-hmm. Now, the, uh, the difference between these and the others um, is that this allows the fuel injectors to fire individually into each cylinder. And this is a little bit more accurate uh, as mm-hmm. far as fuel delivery goes than the standard fuel injector systems. Now, when we talked about the other multi-port fuel injection systems, you know, these are getting, these are multiple systems as well. You know, there, there are also multiple injector, injectors involved with that one, but this one is saying exactly when each each cylinder gets the appropriate amount or the exact amount of fuel that it determines is the correct amount to deliver at the appropriate time. Right. So just before the intake valve for that cylinder opens. So the the timing in that case is down to ideally um, less than, you know, half a second. Well, it's oh, way, way, way less than that. It's, uh, it's much more precise. It's yeah. a very, very precise system. But now it's got what they would call pinpoint accuracy, I guess. Right. of air and fuel delivery to each individual cylinder in the system. So, you know, this is actually the the best system overall, but again, all of this requires all of the sensors operating at the uh, at the exact same time, you know, they have sure. to all be functioning correctly all the time. Um also, you know, this is another thing where, you know, the fuel economy is better, but maybe only slightly better than it would be with a standard multi-port system. Which right. is again a step up from the throttle body system, mm-hmm. which is a step up from the carburetor system. So, you know, the, the, the further you progress down the line here with these different generations of, of injector systems, injection mm-hmm. systems, um, the better off you are. But again, you're, you're relying more on technology to make this thing run and operate correctly. Which to, to be completely candid is the same path for quite a few car systems now in, inside your engine. Mm-hmm. You know, now, um, as cars become increasingly dependent upon a centralized computer or a, you know an ECU, then we're we're just going to see more and more of this sort of stuff. I don't think it's necessarily bad. I mean, the truth of the matter is, people do get a better performance from a sequential multiport. Um, although I know I sounded a little bit like an old codger when I was saying, "Well, that you know the carburetor is simple and it won't break as easily." That's kind of true, but also maybe I'm just getting old. But also, if you know how to properly tune a carburetor, and this point has to be made, if you know how to properly tune one and you know how to set it up exactly right, yeah, you can get better performance out of a carburetor than you can out of a multi-port fuel injection system in some cases. Ah, uh, yes. It kind of all depends on, it, well, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it depends on the, the operator. It depends on, you know, who's setting it up, I guess. Mm-hmm. It depends on the engine. It's going to depend on atmospheric conditions that day. Mm-hmm. It's going to depend on a lot of different things, but you may be able to get better performance or better fuel economy out of that depending on how you have it adjusted. So th- these, these 
all of these systems, you know, whether it's a carburetor and it doesn't matter what type of carburetor you've got and, and whether it's a, a fuel injected system, it doesn't matter what type of it, type mm-hmm. it is, but, um, they all got their pros and cons. They've all got, you know, some, something in the plus column, something in the minus column. And it kind of depends on which you're comfortable with. You know, are you, are you able to give up this for that? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you can be in a have your cake and eat it too situation. Just get two cars. Not, not a bad idea. Not that serious. Yeah, Just that's buy a car. How simple. That's how, how very simple. Yeah. We have solved it for you. If you are lamenting the passage of the carburetor, friends and neighbors, do not despair. Uh, carburetors are all around you. They've just maybe gone into some different applications. Scott, as you and I mentioned, you can find carburetors in lawnmowers. You can find carburetors in chainsaws. As a matter of fact, if you look at small engines, uh, you would be surprised perhaps to learn that carburetors still run that game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, go-karts or anything like that. Sure. I mean, ATVs, I would think, have stuff like this. I don't know if there are any uh, that have a fuel-injected system. I'm not sure. Small engines? Mm. I'm not positive, but um, it seems like if you if you know how a, a simple carburetor works or how a, a basic carburetor, how I guess the basic operation of a carburetor, that's the better way to say it, um, you're, you're pretty much able to uh, get the most out of any small engine that you have, whether it's on a chainsaw, as you mentioned, or, mm-hmm. you know, a lawnmower or whatever it happens to be. So it, it will suit you well to learn the carburetor. Absolutely. Well, man, uh, looks like we knocked out carburetors versus fuel injection. There's, uh, just one more thing to do. Can you guess what it is? What is that? It's listener mail. Oh, of course. All right, Scott, this one comes to us from Tracy B. Um, Tracy says, hello, Scott and Ben. I just listened to your episode concerning sugar in the gas tank and your story of the caddies sabotaging the caddy master's golf cart reminded me of a similar prank slash dereliction of duty we used to perform in the Air Force. We operated 10,000-pound capacity forklifts in our squadron. They were equipped with tires that had very little tread. These were almost like racing slicks except for a few small groups. If you punctured a tire, shift change could not occur until you changed the flat. So, of course, you always picked up a nail in the last 20 minutes before shift change. The wheels were so big and heavy that they took a pretty good while to change. Plus, we had to drive to another squadron to borrow a large enough torque wrench to generate the 500 foot-pounds of torque these lug nuts require. Whoa, that's a lot of torque. Yeah. Uh, so our solution, says Tracy, we would fully inflate the tire and then a witness would watch to make sure we parked it with the hole in the tire pressed firmly against the floor. This sealed the hole against the floor long enough for us to get away. It would be half an hour into the next shift before they realized they had a flat. Thanks for keeping me company on my 600-mile days, Tracy. Very clever, Tracy. That's uh, that's a good way. That's a twist on the story, too, because uh, we were talking about a way to slowly cause the air to come out of a tire. Right. And uh, this is a way to keep the air in the tire, but only for just the like few moments, hour. I guess, until, until it rotates, really. And then they have to run to the other squadron. Yeah, very funny. So if you're listening in the Air Force and you are a little confused about what's happening to your forklift, that's it, man. Can I mention one thing? Yeah. This is, uh, this is related to the same episode. Now, when we were talking about, you know, these little pranks and the, I think I had talked about how, I don't know, I couldn't see anybody really messing with anybody's car, you know, as far as like, uh, revenge, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as far as like, uh, vandalism goes, right? Right. Now, I had, a, I had an old friend of mine, uh, that wrote in and said, Hey, I heard some guy on the podcast saying, I wouldn't. I couldn't, under, couldn't understand somebody messing with somebody's car as a way to get back at them. And then he said, "But I seem to remember that you, meaning me, Ben, you specifically, uh, me specifically, had done something to his car in the past that it was not destructive in any way, but it was funny." And what did you do? I. <laughs> this is pretty funny, I think. And it's it's non-destructive, and it was just you know for fun, really. It wasn't anything big. It's uh, along the lines of like you know putting someone's windshield wipers in the up position or something like that, right? All right. I I, uh, <laughs> I, I somehow. Uh, procured a license plate frame that says, uh, I'm a Fanalo, which is for Barry Manilow, right? You know, the Barry Manilow fans? Fanalo? Fanalos. They call them Fanalos, right? A Barry Manilow fan is called a Fanalo. Whoa, okay. And I, uh, I managed to get my hands on one of these somehow. Don't ask how. I won't. And, uh, I, one day, well, he was at work and I was at work. I went out to the parking lot and I, I applied this to his vehicle, the back end of his vehicle, and he drove around for at least two or three days 
with this Amafanilo plate on the back of his car, and then he discovered it, or somebody told him about it. I don't know what yeah. happened, but uh, it, was, it was a funny little prank, but it was completely harmless. You know, it wasn't anything vengeful. It wasn't like teeing the paint or anything like that, but uh, it was still fun. And I, I just forgot that, you know, I had done stuff like that. And, you know, if you remember way back, yeah, I had also talked about putting a uh, like a whistle tip into a fr- another friend's exhaust pipe. That's true. And, yeah. uh, you know, that was also harmless. It wasn't anything that was welded in place, like, you know, the, the whistle tips that we think of. Right, right. You know, it was with, just a whistle tip insert. Not the ones with uh, bug rub. You know, those, <laughs> not, not that one. Yeah. Uh, this is just the insert, and it drove him crazy for a couple of days, and that was about it. Yeah, it's an annoying noise. Yeah, exactly. And it's completely harmless. You know, you can, you can remove that. So. You know, wow. stuff like that, I, I have done that in the past, yeah. and I hadn't really thought about that. So when I was saying, you know, I, I can't understand taking out any kind of aggression on somebody, that's not really what I was getting at. But do you, the, uh, the license plate thing thing was kind of funny. Do you feel Do you feel better having come clean? I, You know, not really. It, okay. was, uh, it was funny. I stand behind my action. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Regrets are for rubes, huh? <laughs> it, was, it was funny at the time. It's funny now. <laughs> okay. So, Scott, uh, do you want to say the name of this guy? Uh, let's call him Jim C., Okay. How about that? Or, or uh, about Jay Crossman. We'll go with that so that he keeps anonymous, you know? Yeah, yeah, okay. So we'll keep either Jim C. or Jay Crossman anonymous, whomever he may actually be. Uh, so tune in next time to hear more tales from our apparently master criminal, Scott Benjamin, and uh, myself as well. I'll try to come up with some uh, dastardly deeds. Um no, you know what? Actually, I probably won't say anything because that's how you get away with it. You stuff. don't know where I parked, do you? I may or may not know. I can neither confirm nor deny my knowledge of where you park, mm-hmm. Scott. I'm watching you, Ben. We're on the way. We're on the way out. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to check us out on Facebook and Twitter, where we would love to hear tales of your pranks. You can also check out our website, carstuffshow.com, and send us an email directly. Our address is carstuffdiscovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fairs. Discover more at Viking.com. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.